0: Welcome back to Known to Ramble with Josh and Gotti on episode 25 we bring in my good friend Ken Jones to talk about Lionel Messi coming to Dallas folks we talk the game the chaos before the chaos during all of the fun in between a 4-4 to penalties amazement and Ken gives us some wonderful stories along the way it's a wonderful time to talk about Lionel Messi in America here on Known to Ramble Welcome to Known to Ramble. And Josh, we have a very special episode. This marks our fourth guest to our show. In fact, this is our first guest I'm bringing on board because, let's see, you've brought your wife, uh, your brother, your friend Andrew from Buckets and Beyond. (laughs) Now I get to bring someone I know uh, to our wonderful little podcast. Um, So, Josh, I'll I'll kind of let you know uh, this young gentleman, uh, just retired from the city of Richardson after many decades there, he was in the video production realm, uh, basically anything famous from the Alamo draft house unveiling to many a festival or anything that's happened in the city of Richardson. He's either video recorded it or helped make it look snazzy and special. Um, but as far as I've known this gentleman, uh, over the last two decades in the early two thousands, when I was still at the university of North Texas, um, I got to work with Ken for the first time uh, in uh, RBT Productions, doing peewee football uh, broadcasts, which led to many future jobs. Ken has been in the video production and Red Hat directing, spotting realm, uh, gosh, since before my time. So these last three decades, he's done every sport from football, baseball, basketball, volleyball. Um, He's also been connected to the Dallas Burn and FC Dallas since their inception. Um, Either him or the Hunts basically founded the team. I'm not totally sure. Uh, But Ken Jones is um, someone who has been in and out of uh, the video production world and radio world and is known to many of us. He's also a UNT alum and a graduate from the great radio TV film program that brought us such people as Mark Folliwell and two thirds of the musers for you ticket listeners. Um, and Ken, I guess, um, before I, I bring you on Josh, you've con kind of called me your soccer mentor or guru once or twice on this podcast. Well, to me, Ken, I know, unfortunately (laughs) to me, Ken is as close to a soccer sports film TV guru mentor that I've had in my life. So Here's uh, my good friend Ken Jones.
1: Hi there.
0: <laughs> nice. After after that uh,
2: after that intro from Gotti, can you see why I basically named the entire podcast "Known to Ramble" because of him? Absolutely, and he is known to ramble, and that's one of the reasons
1: <laughs> we work so well together.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, speaking of rambling, um, Ken, I thought the best way to kind of intro you to the audience and to Josh is to let you do what you do best, which is tell stories. And a week ago, you shared a lunch with myself, uh, another friend of ours, Dev, and my dad who turned 75. And you shared with uh, that little group of fun people um, the first time I ever met you and I think if you could replicate that story in the way you do, which is mainly just to make fun of me, um, if you could please tell it's easy that story, it's so easy to do.
2: There's a lot to be
1: to be there. It, it was I was directing, and this is for Pee Wee football, and you know you would do seven championship games in a day, and this is back when you would sell a VHS tape to the parents to see their little child in Wee football and the guy who was running the company bob to did a great job i learned so much with him over the years i laugh and say yeah i went to the university of north texas but i really went to the university of rbt productions is where we learned how to do so much and by this point he had figured out it was easier to have me direct a game than to have to put up with me on camera where i thought i was directing anyway and so i was several years into this and we had multiple cameras and sometimes we had camera operators who kind of knew what they were doing. And a lot of times we didn't. And we would get announcers who would come in from North Texas and some of these programs. And these were college kids. And every one of them was going to be an announcer, was going to be Monday Night Football. And so they'd come in and do imitations of Monday Night Football. And so while I was directing and producing all out of a a traveler van with a fly kit production pack in it, um, I was in their ear telling them stuff. And I'm listening to them say things that were, arguably correct and sometimes flat out wrong. And I, I cut into the ear. Hey, we're going to a replay. Hey, we're doing this and Gotti, you know, had a clear talent for it, but he was heavily into the big voice doing a Monday night football imitation. And so he was doing things he'd heard on Monday night football. And so at one point in one of these BOE games, he said, turnovers lost yardage on penalties Um, taking sacks, those are the intangibles that'll cost you a game. And being a disruptor, I chimed in in his ear and said, those are tangible that you can count them. (laughs) And that's what's known as icing the broadcast because the audience, of course, doesn't hear me. They just hear this long pause as Gotti is processing what he said, what I said, and what was wrong with what he said and uh from there on we've worked together it, it's, it's been a great friendship uh, we've done a lot of soccer together over the years uh film festivals a lot of different things and when i got to the chance to meet his father last week finally i said hey you know we were some of the guys that gotti learned this industry from and i want to apologize for a lot of what happened
2: <laughs> i uh i actually got to meet gotti's father for the first time last week too
0: Y'all book ended my trip. Josh dropped me off to surprise my father. And then Ken literally destroyed us with all the stories I didn't want my father to hear. (laughs)
2: Well, hey, that that sounds like a perfect birthday weekend to me.
0: It was. It was a very special time. And and I was glad that both of y'all were were included. Um, But Ken, we we brought you on here to talk about uh, a very uh, special Argentinian that came to town last night. But I don't want to jump into that. I'd like to tease people a little bit. We'll 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 get to that little fellow Lionel in just a minute. I thought um,
2: I thought it was the Alan Velasco story.
0: No, yeah, the him too. I was
2: going to say that. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Or or Facundo uh, <laughs> Quigión, if you want to go with another Argentinian that's on FC Dallas, that he scored a goal last night. But we'll get to all that. Um, but Ken, I wanted to give you a chance before we dived into Messi talk. Um, Last weekend, you got to cover um, a really amazing soccer game as well between two great teams, uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona. And uh, I was amazed at your comments you had for, for us at lunch the other day about just how great of a game this was. So if you don't mind, can you tell us from your great vantage point? Don't Don't tell people what you do. I'll get to that in a minute, Ken. But okay. tell us what you got to experience last weekend.
1: So, uh, without saying what I do, which apparently is a trade secret until we reveal it, um, I have been to a lot of soccer games over the years. I have have been lucky enough to be on the sideline for a staggering number of soccer games over the years. And I was there with 82,026 in the crowd. And I was on the sideline for Real Madrid versus Barcelona. And out of all the games I have been to, of varying levels this was something different because this is you know the friendly this is and i saw barcelona play juventus last year i've seen barcelona play club america I, i've seen a lot of the big international powerhouses on their summer tours when they come to the u.s and and there is a certain degree of skill and a certain degree of speed this was not a friendly this was not a preseason game these two teams you know it, it's el Clasico, and these two teams were treating it as such. And the two coaching staffs were to some degree treating it as such. And um, it was flying. Every touch was amazing. The speed and the precision this game was played at. uh, For a friendly to have five yellow cards is a little bit unusual, I think. We had uh, three goals from Barcelona. We had at least three shots from Real Madrid, maybe four or five that hit the crossbar. Uh, we had a penalty kick that was is missed. We had the coaching staffs kind of getting into it over how many official subs they could have. It was a great atmosphere. It was a lot of fun.
0: So, Ken, I'm I'm not trying to keep your wonderful uh, uh, job hidden from the public out there, but I do want to paint the picture in just a minute of what your perspective is. So I'll, I'll kind of unveil a little bit of, what ken does um he is what's called a red hat and during the tv broadcasts of games uh the uh, there are two people that run a broadcast there's a producer and a director uh the director runs the show and that person has a, a an eyes and ears on the field and that's called a director spotter and that's where people like myself and other uh minions of ken like carrie lowry and uh Ana Gonzalez, who was last night, uh, she was director spotter, if I'm not mistaken. I give a little shout out to one of the OGs. Um, But basically what Ken does, and we've all gotten to kind of learn from him and been able to do this as well, but a red hat is the eyes and ears of the producer of the show. And the producer runs um, the MLS game for Apple, for Fox, for ESPN, for whomever the broadcast is done, the people paying for the thing to happen. This is the direct line of, what they're doing and how they're going to make it happen. So he's the eyes and ears as well as he's the direct connection to the ref and anyone else on the pitch that's going down. So the red hat is a pivotal position in every soccer game. They're the person that kicks off the game or gives the the go-ahead to the ref to take over the game. Um, it's a very pivotal position. They give him a special red hat. And, uh, you know, a pension after 35 years or something, I hear. Uh, So, Ken, if you could take that perspective, um, we're not going to get to messy yet. I do want to ask, since you've mentioned all this great soccer you've been able to see, um, to kind of make people understand just the great soccer you've seen, can you give us five of your favorite players, coaches, personalities you've been able to Meet or come across in all your things? I mean, last night you came across Beckham and Messi and a whole bunch, but can you give me five of your favorites?
1: Sure. Um, I, I will say that I, the, the Red Hat is also a, a timed out coordinator, is the other term you hear for. And so it's not just soccer, it's football, it's basketball, any of these sports have a timeout coordinator because to television, the most important thing is they don't want to be at a commercial when they come back and suddenly plays going on so the timeout coordinator really coordinates between the field now if you're doing it in football you've seen the guys with the big giant red orange gloves the lobster claws they're the timeout coordinators there luckily in soccer i only have to wear a red hat i don't have to wear the uh, the uh, giant lobster claws and of course the beauty is in football they're going to take three or four breaks a quarter and in soccer i stand up at the midfield stripe i wave my arm once and then i get sit down and get paid to watch soccer it's the best gimmick ever uh i've been doing it since the dallas burns second game ever at the cotton bowl uh lamar green was a friend of mine working for the club and he you know after the first game where i was in the stands as a fan called me and said hey we need somebody who knows television and somebody who knows soccer can you do this i said yes and i don't think that anybody had the idea that i i meant yes for the rest of my life until somebody drags me out of there Mm -hmm. um but it's been great the So many good players over the years. Bobby Ryan, who was a a player and then turned announcer for the club, who passed away tragically so early. Bobby was just this great, infectious personality. He was the coach's dream because he played forward, he played midfield, he played defender at different points of his career, just wherever a coach wanted him to be. He went. And then when he got done playing, he hung it up, and he moved into the booth and worked with Brad Sham there for a couple of years. And the plan was Bobby was going to be there for eons. And and sadly, he passed away. But part of the mystique around FC Dallas is the number 19, which was Bobby's number, is their homegrown player, is uh, Paxton Pomacall right now. And uh, it's an honor to the club to have somebody wearing a 19. And so Bobby was fantastic to deal with, and I dealt with him as a player, as a broadcaster, over the years in different ways. Uh, Loved Dante Washington, one of the first – forwards we had who did a bunch of scoring um lionel alvarez was one of the first real defensive midfielders who would just take control with that team jason christ was amazing to watch back in the day because nobody knew who this kid was and he did not come out of college and come to the club as a highly touted player and he's still in the top ranks of the scores um, recently uh maxi Arudy, i really enjoyed glas perez who is panamanian and if he's not on your team you just cannot stand the guy if he's on your team you love him because he's an irritant and he's a goal scoring irritant um just so many players over the years that i have so many good memories of. and, and we don't talk to him a whole bunch it's, it's funny because occasionally i'll meet one of them somewhere and uh ryan hollings had a couple of years ago at a maverick's game i was working at the maverick's game he goes wait i know you I said, yeah. I said yeah i waved my arm he goes that's right he goes, i guess you guys do all these things and i was like yeah basically what we do um just it's been a load of fun over the years just to follow all these players and then like i said i've gotten to work club america versus barcelona i get to work women's national team games men's national teams games uh a lot of soccer that rolls through north texas i get a ringside seat for
0: speaking of that ringside just so people understand you're literally midfield the entire game
1: I am at midfield and I have made a point of standing on the sideline. So you stand on the sideline and you hold up your arm and you signal to the ref or you let the fourth official know how long until the producer is going to say, let them kick the ball. Um, when they kick it, I windmill my arm and I make sure I have my foot on the field because at some point I will have started more games on the field for FC Dallas than any other person, anybody in the league. <laughs> probably. Um,
2: yes. And yes,
1: Last night with the, uh, the Messi, I will say that my foot was out on the field for both halves because I started a game on the field with Messi. I don't know what y'all did last night. Um, the, um, uh, and then when that, that's done, we sit down right there at the a table at midfield. We help television, you know, as a sub comes in and you hear the announcer say, Paxton's coming in probably for legit here. Well, guess what? That's because we told them, we looked at the card and we know. That's how they know how much opportunity there is. And if anything weird anything that you don't see one of their seven or eight usually or 26 last night cameras, we can say, hey, this is going on here and be eyes and spotters for the producer and the director and tell them what's going on. But yeah, we sit down and we get paid to watch soccer from right there.
0: One of the, the cool things, Josh, about what Ken's talking about is like if something's happening in the crowd, we're 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 a part of bringing that into a broadcast if we can let the producer and director know. And, you know, like last night, if you got to watch on Apple TV, there's a, a lot of pull away shots to David Beckham in the crowd or Tony Romo. A lot of that stuff is built upon the people who were there at the very uh, beginning of the game who are are on the field and also part of the camera crew. And Ken, if you don't mind, um, before we dive into like messy time, um, what was the atmosphere like since you guys got there earlier than most humans did, but then you saw the chaos come in? What was it like in Little Frisco with I don't know, half the world coming down on it?
1: Well, it's it's odd because you know, I have a lot of soccer friends, I have a lot of television friends, and so from before Wednesday night when FC Dallas and Miami were both playing in this league's cup against other teams, we could see the bracket. We could see how the setup was coming. So already by Tuesday afternoon in my soccer bubble, TV bubble, there's a lot of chatter already. And sometimes it's difficult to say, "Wow, it swept the Metroplex when it's my bubble and everybody's going to come to me and talk to me about soccer. It had built though. And it was one of those events Honestly, I don't remember another soccer buildup, even when Beckham came to town those first couple of times, because it was, you know, 20, 15 years ago in a different game in a different environment. And Beckham, as good as he was, didn't lift a World Cup trophy nine months ago. Um, and, and so it was really building. I got there three and a half hours before game time, which is about two hours, two and a half hours before I need to be there just so I could be in there. And there were fans lined up. There were vendors selling those pink, messy Miami jerseys. Uh, also there, they were there at Real Madrid versus Barcelona selling those jerseys. Also as FC Dallas hosted Charlotte versus Cruz Azul, they were in the parking lot selling Cruz Azul flags and those Miami Messi number 10 jerseys. <laughs> it, it has been coming and everybody has been building towards it. And They started to open the gates, and then they had to stop. There were more security people than you will ever see at a game, and and for obvious reasons. You can't have a pitch invader. You cannot have something going on. An hour before the game, I think, they finally opened gates, hour and a half, and this is 7 o'clock. It's still sunny in a lot of that stadium. It's still a pretty warm, hot afternoon. People are packing in. The only time I saw the crowd really get wound up, a lot of times if you see a section of fans all turn around, there's a fight, there's something. No, is because Beckham was in the, on the patio suites above us and the crowd's turning around yelling at Beckham and, and yelling for him and uh, he's talking with the other owners. And um, it, it was from a media standpoint, from a, in, a media insider standpoint with all of my friends who were doing production and working the broadcast and working in-house it was coming. You could tell this was not your normal Wednesday versus San Jose in mid July. This was going to be something different.
0: Wow. Exciting. <laughs> um, I'm I'm curious as far as the amount of people on the sideline, because normally there's, there's a group of people, but this must've been more intense. And, you know, like I saw Mauricio Edu down there. I saw, you know, your, your sideline reporter. I I mean, there's, there's those people, but, there must have been chaos around you.
1: It was it was packed because normally they do a pretty good job of keeping everybody, but maybe, you know, the audio guys who are going to be helping us out and Harold on camera there and uh, the fourth official and the match official. And last night, especially pregame, you had, I can't tell you how many more photographers, but it, was, it wasn't our normal six or seven guys who you know when you say hi to. It was packed out. You had Apple TV providing both English and Spanish. Normally, you probably have about eight cameras for broadcast, and you've got five for the in-house show. We had our five for the in-house show. They started out at 30-something for cameras, and they ended up at 26. They didn't bring the Sky Cam in. They changed their mind. They had sideline reporters, both in English and Spanish. They had handlers for both of them. They had audio guys down there. They brought in, whereas normally they bring in one truck in the parking lot and And patch it in. They had four trucks patched in yesterday afternoon when I got over there for the broadcast (laughs) site. Press box was totally packed out. Um, it, It really was an event. And Dallas loves nothing more than an event.
0: So I'm I'm just going to throw this question out there. I've seen a lot of people ask, should this have been at, you know, Jerry World, the Death Star, or somewhere else? I would say Cotton Bowl would be the obvious big stadium choice. But I'm curious. Um, Ken, as someone who knows soccer, who's been to that Toyota Stadium in Frisco many, many times, do you think it was handled properly? Do you think it worked out? Do you think it was the right venue? A hundred
1: percent for not the obvious reasons. If you're talking about sheer number of people who get to see Lionel Messi, you go to the Cotton Bowl or you go to at However, and I think it's Steve Davis, the, the great soccer writer, was pointing out, well, Toyota Stadium pays a lot of money to have Toyota Stadium mentioned as Toyota Stadium. And Toyota Stadium probably wants a game like that at Toyota Stadium so that people talk about Toyota Stadium. The, um, the truth is the logistics of it wouldn't work. They had the uh, Barcelona Real Madrid game there last Sun or last Saturday, but that's a week ago. And they they bring in a natural grass field and put it down, and they have to water it and take care of it. And it doesn't do well in the dark, so they have to pull it out. They they don't they weren't set up. And again, till Wednesday night at ten o'clock, you didn't know these two teams were going to be meeting on Sunday. I don't think the Cotton Bowl field is ready. I'm sure they're getting ready for high school and college football. And with these field preparations, they're at different points in their growing season. I just don't think the logistics were there to make it reasonable. Next season, if FC Dallas gets a home game against Miami, I wouldn't be overly shocked to see us play at one of those two venues when they've got half a season to prepare for it. To have four days to prepare for it, I didn't see any. I I agree totally with what they did. It, It created supply and demand issues, which is not bad from their viewpoint. (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me. they I just think that's where that game needed to be played because of everything else taken out. Wednesday night, you found out we were going to be hosting Miami for sure.
2: does that uh, does that also then change? Uh, d- does home field advantage or home pitch advantage ever come into play with something like that? or in the eyes of like an FC Dallas, like next year, like you're saying them potentially having it somewhere else? do they then say more eyes on the game is obviously what we want regardless?
1: They, it wouldn't break their hearts to have more eyes on the game. Be aware of the product, especially if you can put on a game like last night where the great Lionel Messi and his, his former teammates who have now <laughs> taken over to enter Milan, enter Miami. I mean, I uh, have come in and FC Dallas gave them everything they could handle. You want, you want, you don't mind it if fans come in cheering for Messi and leave going, Jesus Ferrer is pretty pretty legit. You know, um, Velasco is pretty legit. The the defense looked good despite what they gave up to Messi. Um, I I don't think they had a problem. I will say the crowd last night. We we do a lot of U.S. games uh, uh, for Gold Cup and Concacaf tournaments, and it's funny to watch. You know, Costa Rica has a home field advantage a lot of times over the U.S. at games here. El Salvador has a home field advantage in terms of crowd. Last night's crowd was not anti FC Dallas. They were pro FC Dallas. But they were very pro Messi and I th- I think you could be both last night and I, I think a majority of the house probably was.
2: I think another way that you could kind of tell that you know the everyone was every everyone there at the game was an at least from I was I was only able to watch it on TV. I I was one of the suckers that sat online and and couldn't couldn't make it work out, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I we uh, as I was watching the game, one thing you noticed was just the sheer respect across the field for for you know Messi and you know Busquets and some of these other guys as just like I mean you know Messi Messi just scored a uh, just scored a free kick on you or a uh, penalty kick on you and uh, Martin Paz is is he's ready to go up there and dap him immediately <laughs> they, they weren't gonna miss this opportunity.
1: They and and you look across the crowd, and it was a very pink house last night. There was a lot of Miami jerseys, and my daughter was like, Do they have that many fans? I said, Well, as of about six weeks ago, yes, these are people (laughs) that never heard of Enter Miami before that, and suddenly they are diehard going to go to every one of their games. The um, it it was a lot of respect, and the crowd would chant Messi when he got the ball. The cramp, the, the crowd would also chant FC Dallas when FC Dallas was doing something good. Um, you know, I'm a little bit far away from the supporters crowd there so I don't know if it was a different vibe they're tucked away in the corner and kind of off to my right and a little bit behind me so I don't have a good sightline on them so I don't know if there was a more um partisan jeering from them than but the the crowd was not anti FC Dallas just pro Messi
0: did you think that the way the second half went the the excitement level that built up in this game um were were you anticipating that? Did you did you anticipate as good a game as we got?
1: No, because you, you you're always worried when you bring in a full house that in a August uh, oven, it's going to be a flat game and everybody's going to walk away grumbling, and, and that's your big fear as a soccer fan, and you know as a spectator, uh, the, the people who paid a lot of money and. You know, there in the the last few minutes, I, I looked at Gina Miller and I said, well, they got their money's worth tonight and I don't care what their money was. Um, it opened with a bang. I mean, it opened with Jesus Ferreira getting a goal that was uh, correctly called offsides. Six, that's three minutes in, six minutes in, Messi scores his first one, so everybody's got their scorecard checked already. See Messi play, check. See him score a goal. Hey, what do you know? There you go. And then you had... FC Dallas taking the lead right before half, and then the second half came out, and within five minutes at one stretch, you had two goals. Then you had own goals back and forth. There was never a letdown, and I, I know Taylor Twelman talked about, the crowd's not really into it when the ball's in the middle of the field. That changed as the evening went on. It was as good as soccer. I mean, a 4-4 four, four tie going to penalty kicks, If it, even if it's not messy playing, that's a good, fun soccer game. There's a lot to be had there. And to get to see Messi and to get to see that fourth goal and the way it played out was just insane.
2: <laughs> I thought the uh, you know a couple weeks ago whenever he got the whenever he hit the uh, free kick and everyone's just like oh his first goal you know his uh, first game he hits the free kick it's insane. I was I was like standing and I was like what if he does it again? I'm just sitting there watching. I was like can he really do that again and just freak us all out? He does it. Me and my wife are sitting there. I'm obviously rooting for FC Dallas, but me and my wife are sitting there. We just look at each other and we're like, there's, yeah, that that's the goat on display. We we fully understand. It's just that's insane. Foul. The the
1: foul that gives up that kick from 22, 23 yards out with five minutes to go in a game where they're down one. The producer on the broadcast is going, are you kidding me? Is this really <laughs> about to happen? Is this what we're about to see? And, you know, everybody in the stadium's like, Gee, I wonder if he'll lay the pass off. No, we know exactly what is coming. We know what we're about to witness. Is it going to work or not? And he puts it in that tightest of corners. And I just busted out laughing. There, there was <laughs> twice in the game where I had so much joy at what I was saying. I busted out laughing. One was that chip that he had that uh, our defender cleared off the line. Because the chip was beautiful and it was going in. But ah, the defender got there and I just started laughing at the skill level on both sides of the ball there. And then the second one was that free kick where it's like, of course he's going to bury this in the upper 90 to give us – to give them a tie, to give us a tie in this game. There's no doubt. And sure enough, he does it. You can't help but just laugh and go, we're seeing something special here. This is – you know, again, if you had to draw up a perfect scenario, my perfect scenario, people had asked me, I said, well, it's easy. It's a 4-1 game. Dallas wins. Messi scores one early that's gorgeous and we talk about for years, and then Dallas pours on four goals – and Messi gets subbed out because of the heat, and the crowd leaves, so I don't have to sit in traffic at the end of the game. That's my perfect game. <laughs> um, and, and it got to 4-2, to two, and I was like, close. We're the, and then on goal Fiesta broke out, and uh, I, I have no complaints. I feel bad for the FC Dallas guys. I thought they played their guts out. I thought they played one of their best games of the season. Having said all that, I don't feel bad about that game. That was pure entertainment.
2: Did it look like? Did it, did it look like Marco Farfan? Did he just look like man? When am I going to get an opportunity to get on the other end of a messy cross? <laughs> just... he, I, we, I, the producer
1: goes. Did he hit that? I said, he buried it. He he, you know, <laughs> yeah. drove it into the ground away from the kid. Plus, is hard, you know. And again, I play soccer. I play Fat Boy League, and I play. I'm a defender, so defenders tend to score a lot of goals because we're around the net and they're not always, you know. Yeah. When I would come in from games, the kids would go, "Did you win? did you score for which team because i wouldn't tell you know i just like hey i got two tonight one for each of us um but uh it yeah he buried it i felt terrible for far i did too terrible for paxton um if you look up at night you will still see that penalty kick circling the earth he he just killed that ball so
2: hard
0: Uh, launched it you know, Ken, I'm curious. We saw at the end of the game, like uh, Velasquez met up with Messi. We've gotten to see that at the end of games, like when people like Tyrion, Henry and, and uh, Ibrahimovic, some big-time players have come through when Beckham was here, even though we almost crunched his head. But I'm curious, with Messi, <laughs> what was the feeling like seeing these people become giddy, like these other players? I mean, Josh is right. Martin Paz jumped up and almost dapped him after getting scored on. It was hilarious, but it was like, when else are you going to be able to do something with the goat it's crazy and you knew
1: it was going to be a race to see who could trade jerseys with him first <laughs> you know velasco who had subbed out of the game with uh, some hamstring tightness or, or quad tightness made a beeline for messi as soon as it was over because of velasco argentinian kid it, this is his hero he's getting that jersey and you know they they hugged and they had a nice moment uh several of the players you know there was respect both ways i thought um Jesus, when they went out to do the coin flip, you know, and exchange the little team banners, Jesus is sitting there with Messi and he's got to be thinking. This is kind of cool. I'm team captain. And, oh, by the way, here the other guy's Lionel Messi. There was a fair amount of that. Although, if you saw, I think Tafari had an interview on the local news and they said, how are you going to cover Messi? And he said, how come, how come you know, we play every week. How come you're just now asking me how to play defense on somebody? Where are you every week when we're playing defense on somebody? We're going to play defense. And, and I think his attitude was very healthy as well. It's a, it's yes, this is the goat, but by the way, if I need to, I'll hack him down and take the ball.
0: I, I'm curious. Lastly, with, with a question about teams stepping up, does Messi make this league that much better? Like how big of an impact? Cause we felt Beckham, we felt all these other great talents, but is there another level we've never seen that he's going to take us to? I mean, his goal scoring alone is becoming kind of insane.
2: It looks so easy for him. It just looks like he went from like in FIFA terms, it went. It looks like he went from playing on world class to back to playing on beginner, and he's just dominating. And, and here's the deal. And I thought about this last
1: night. Back when the league started, you had guys like Carlos Valderrama and uh, Marco Etcheverry coming in, and these were world class world top, top of their generation soccer players. And the rest of the league was journeymen and college kids. And those guys came in and they floated through games. It looked effortless. You thought that guy's not running. That guy's not. Oh, but there's the goal. Oh, but there's the assist. They were a different level of talent. They saw they were playing a different game entirely. We haven't seen that with Wayne Rooney coming in or Gerard or David Villa. And these later years, because the league has gotten a lot better. And these guys came in and learned, you're really going to have to do some work in this league. The travel in this league is difficult. The quality and the physicality in this league is really pretty good. Last night, watching Messi just kind of walk and just kind of float and score a goal and get an assist and almost score another one. And then you were watching a different level of player. And I do think uh, Grant Wall, the great writer who passed away at the last World Cup, had a great book about the Beckham experiment and, and what how that helped the league to grow. I think there will be an excellent chance to have a book written about the Messi experiment and where it takes the league. And look at the guys he's bringing in with him in Miami. I mean, wait, Messi was really good. Jordy Alba was really good last night. He looked like he was working. Messi just looked like he was out there doing whatever he wanted to. It was fun.
0: Well, Ken, it's been a real pleasure to bring you on the show. I was so happy when you said yes to do this. So thank you so much. And also, thanks for bringing up Bobby, bringing up Grant, bringing up some of these great uh, voices and people who helped bring the game to so many people. So, Ken, thank you, man. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you, guys. had a lot of fun.
2: big thanks to Ken Jones for stopping by and telling us about the fateful night that Messi came to Dallas. Make sure that you follow us on Instagram at known, the number two Ramble and on Twitter. Now for some reason known as X at K the number two R pod. And as always, thanks for listening.